You <laughs> you you got three extra pieces for you? You thought I got four pieces for myself? Should I do a little move? Well, over then it there? then it makes it look like I have five pieces on my on my own plate. All right, so I got are... four, expecting us to split it. Oh, <laughs> hey now! <laughs> I thought we were gonna go two and two. We we're gonna go four. okay. You hey, make me look like a fat ass. I am a fat ass, despite trying to make You're weight. You're on your cut. You're on your cut. Allegedly. I'm Allegedly. On, I'm on my mass. <laughs> we are both reaching different goals here. This is a big... We can talk about this, but oh, this please. is... This no, is, no, hit me with it. This right is now. a big issue I have with Instagram. You know I'm an Instagram whore. I do. And I, I love looking yeah, at those yeah, yeah. comments. Yep. It's... I see a lot of weightlifting content on my Instagram reels, especially my reels, especially when I'm working. Right. Listen, I love looking looking at my reels when I'm right, working. Right. And it's you'll see an athlete doing quarter squats, doing plyometrics. And this one guy with uh, 1 to 10 follower ratio will come and saying, oh, <laughs> that's not full range of motion on your squat. It, it, it's, listen, first of all, that's none of your business. <laughs> Second of all, not everyone is training to be a power lifter. Right? Not everyone needs a full range of motion squat. Yeah, a lot of point. athletes will, you know, listen, explosive quarter squats are a lift that you can do. And a lot of athletes, Miles Garrett is one, one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. He will do quarter squats. And a lot of people go on his comments and say, hey, listen, those aren't full range of motion squats. Sure. That's also not what he's trying to do. I hate Instagram commenters thinking that they are the shit, thinking that they know everything, and most importantly, thinking that they know the goals of the people that they are commentating. I'll say one more thing. I saw an old person do heavy bags on, because I get a lot of boxing content on my reels, right? I saw one old person doing heavy bags on, on my reels. It's all I comments saying, oh, his hands aren't up. He's not doing enough head movement. He's going to get knocked out. I do a little research on this guy. He's a Ukrainian boxer, bronze medalist in the Olympics. He has a professional record, something along the lines of 22 and 6. He knows what he's doing. And a lot of times when you're doing heavy bag... First of all, this is an old guy, right? He's not trying to get fights. He's just working on his craft, trying to stay active. And a lot of people are questioning a guy that is on levels that they cannot possibly imagine to be in. The moral of the story is I hate Instagram so much, (laughs) but I will consume hours of it on end every day because I'm addicted to that shit, especially when you're in an office job when no one gives a fuck. It is so easy to just scroll through reels. You go through those Reddit posts just saying, oh, people have read it. What is one story that you always wanted to say, but you never got a question to ask? You'll see boxing videos. You'll see workout videos. You'll see Andrew Tate videos. For better or for worse, you'll see that. Welcome, Biscuit, to the podcast. I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram Reels, but at the end of the day, it does get me engaged at work to do my work during my breaks. So that is my monologue to start the podcast. Welcome to Misinterpreted. I'm Ron Eldridge presenting Teller Lundquist as well. Happy birthday, Teller. 23, Jordan year. How do you feel? Thank you, Ryan. I was about to say, welcome to the Ryan Eldridge podcast. Listen, this might be, that was this sensational. Might, this might be the way to go. <laughs> I have had a rough couple go at the podcast the 
last couple of weeks. Maybe I just need to get in the zone before we start recording because, oh, my gosh, I just want to talk right now. I'm going to hand the mic over to you before I start hogging this mic. Tell you anything you want to stay on your birthday. Jordan, you're, like I said, (laughs) speak to the people, will you? All right. First off, thank you, Ryan. And uh, it's a... That was that was the best intro we've had so far. That was spectacular. Uh, my question to you to start things off, since you since you let in with I got birthdays, got pizza in my mouth. So oh, okay. I'll, lengthen this. I'll lengthen, lengthen this the question. Yeah. Yeah, I'll lengthen the question. Okay. My question to you is: When it's someone's birthday, and let's say essentially as if you are the best man to a birthday, right? It's not a wedding, but. You know, you feel like you're in charge of putting something together. What would you say is your go-to that 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 you get tickets to, or you plan, or or what whatever it is? What's your go-to? Listen, I think I hit the jackpot on your birthday today. We saw, if you can't tell by my jersey, if you follow our Instagram, misinterpreted podcast on the Instagram. We saw the Kraken versus the Leafs game, and if you could not tell, I am a huge Leafs fan. Just out of circumstance. Um, but we had ro- uh, tickets that were about six rows deep. They were absolutely yeah. fantastic. We yep. saw, you know, every nook and cranny that was involved in that game in a five-one lease win, and ab- absolutely feels good to be a winner. And we said this before. I think this was on our second podcast, which we have grown so much from since then. But I said at that second podcast that tickets are an absolute must. Either it be for a sports event, either for a concert, for something else, maybe a comedy show. Sports or tickets in general are an absolute must for any sports event. And I absolutely delivered on that. And I think it's a shame that your birthday happens on a Sunday. I unfortunately have work. But, you know, we just go out to our favorite bar or club or something. That's that's just a normal weekend anyway. Right, right. right. And we got Vegas in a couple weeks anyway, so... You know, we, <laughs> I can't wait for our episode in Vegas. That's yeah. gonna be. Are we? Are we doing an episode? Oh, in we Vegas? are. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, you bet. You. Bring the mic. Uh, I'm bringing listen, everything. My hands are up. My hands are up. <laughs> hands are up. Hands, hands are, up. are tied. Can't do anything about it. Apparently, it's happening. But I, I think we did really well in the game. No, 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 no. I think you did really well. No, I was just about to get that. So you were a big loser in that game. <laughs> I was. I, I was, was a big winner on the <laughs> betting side in that game. But you got free tickets, so everything evens out. Yeah, I paid for drinks. You pay for tickets. You know, I'm still in a deficit, but I honestly, I couldn't thank you more. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah and, and it's great to celebrate that to yeah. you. And shout out Kai and Shreya for being there with us as well. And we found out the holy grail in going to sports games is the shooters. Shooters! Hiding them underneath the hoodie that is underneath the jersey. Oh, big win. And... That beats paying for $15, $20 beers at any game. How about the $20 tall boy? Yeah, that that is a How atrocious. about that? That is a tr- How much did he pay for food and drinks at that game? $80 for the two of us? 80, $85. Two 85 bucks, two pizzas, two Cokes, two beers, and a tall boy. That is atrocious. And I understand that stadiums need to make money. At the end of the day, it is taxpayer money that is going into that. That should not be taxpayers money that should be coming from owners that should be coming from investors at the end of the day when you put investment into a sports stadium that should that should 
affect and improve the lives of people in the community. Ultimately, the people in the community that won't be going to said sports game, that won't be reaping the benefits of that stadium, should not be paying the price for it. Do you agree or disagree? I agree. And we know the cost of doing a, of, of making a sports stadium, a sports arena. It's sometimes within the billions of dollars. We saw uh, Mercedes-Benz Arena in Atlanta, over a billion dollars. The one in Minnesota, U.S. Bank, I believe, for the Vikings, over a billion dollars. That's atrocious. And that is, that's not an issue if it wasn't taxpayers' money. And a problem in this country, and we don't want to get political, is a lot of our taxes are going in different places where we don't, where we don't think they should necessarily belong to, right? And you go for either party. We don't really have choice of where that goes to. At the end of the day, there's a lot of people in Minnesota, in Atlanta, maybe in Seattle, that aren't involved in their local sports teams. And why are they paying 5 10% of their paycheck into paying for a sports stadium, for a sports arena, which they ultimately won't even be able to participate in? So here's my quick question. If you can't tell, Ryan's ready to roll. I... <laughs> I, I am rock and rolled right now. Okay, my my quick question to you before we get to our um, uh, our our actually important topics is: as Seattle sports fans, you know, Supersonics coming back in a few years. We were talking do about. Do we this. know that though? We do know this. I mean, uh, nothing's confirmed, but uh, it's it's just about confirmed. Las Vegas and and Seattle will be expansion teams in the NBA within a couple of years. We were talking about this to and from the stadium. The Supersonics are going to need their own arena, right? The Storm and the Kraken share Climate Pledge Arena. The Sonics are going to need their own. So to that point, how do you pay for it? I mean, at some point, something, some part of it is not going to be able to come from the ownership group. So my quick question to you is, what do you think about taxpayers' dollars going to both Climate Pledge Arena and the Supersonics coming back to Seattle. Listen, I don't want to talk too out of my depth here. Obviously, the owners aren't going to be able to pay upwards of $500 million, maybe a billion dollars for a new arena. We talked about this earlier where the Staples Center's now Crypto.com Arena right. in L.A. are able to house the Clippers, the Lakers, and the L.A. Kings in their arena. I think that Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, you know, if you look at, Crypto.com Arena should be able to accommodate that with between the Storm, the WNBA team, yep. the new Sonics team, as well as the Kraken and various concerts. Logistically, you may be able to make that happen, but there's got to be a split. You got to have at least 50% in the ownership. And once again, I don't claim to be an expert in politics, I don't claim to be an expert in finance, but especially in Seattle, we got a city that has a lot of immigrants, and even the people that have been here for generations aren't that involved in sports. It's tough to get these people that are from different countries that aren't involved in sports to pay for a stadium that they ultimately won't get involved in because they have their own allegiances rather back home or uh, not at all to any you know, stadium. And I don't mean to offend anyone with the statement, but just... Like I said, you should be able to pay taxes you to to think to things that you believe are an improvement to your life, to an, an improvement in your community. And the the thing with making an arena is that the argument is that you you build the arena, it builds the community, 
right? But when you're a part of a community that doesn't necessarily support the local team, that doesn't care about the local team, how will that money generally help your community into building that morale for the for the sport, for the city? I don't know. Once again, I don't claim to be an expert on this, but a lot. Of, I think at least fifty percent of the money has to come from ownership. I think that you can use the new Climate Pledge Arena as a Sonic Stadium, but once again, I don't know how long that is from the timeline. That could be a decade from now, if not more, because that move from the Sonics coming back to Seattle could be that has been a move for the better part of ten years now. That's true, right? That's true. I think so that I, could, that could be a slow burning process to where that could be another ten years before L, Las Vegas, before Seattle gets their team, and maybe we get our shit together then. And for people that aren't from Seattle, it's there's not a lot of infra, there's not a lot of space to put that in. Like, where do you put that stadium? In? Maybe you put it in Soto. Maybe you put it I next guess, to Lumen Field. Yeah. Maybe you put a Century Link. But other than that, you you look at Cap Hill. You look at Westlake. There's not that much space. Yep. No, I think you make a great point, but but the conversation leads to then once you get an arena, right? What's the quality of play that you're seeing when you actually pay all that money to go to a game? You see players sitting out, right? The big question around the NBA is: Are 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 the the top tier players going to continue sitting out just for rest purposes? Are they playing all 81, 82 games of the season? And then the second, the next question is: When they play, are they playing at a hundred percent? Right? They could be a hundred percent healthy, but are, do they really care a hundred percent of the time through the regular season? That's that's my biggest problem with the NBA. That's why I don't watch it. I do not watch the NBA because of what was shown in the All-Star game, right? I, 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 un- I understand the All-Star game is, is not a representation of the NBA, but at a point it is, right? At a point it is. It was a glorified layup line in the NBA All-Star game. What does that say about the new age NBA? You're not seeing any defense played, even in the fourth quarter, when they said it matters most. In the fourth quarter of the All-Star game, no defense. Yeah, we absolutely, we talked about this earlier, and I'll preface this by saying I watched my first NBA game. It was the Boston Celtics versus the 76ers game. This is the first-seeded team in the East versus the number 3 seed team. Should be a huge game when both of them are in game 61 out of an 82-game season. So not quite the final stretches of that season, but certainly these games do matter in seeding when we come down to the end of it. And we talked about this earlier, and we'll have this on our Instagram at Misinterpreted Podcast if you don't already listen to. But there was a two-possession stretch in the first quarter, and this was right around when I turned it off because this was just atrocious. This was so bad, where Jason Tatum got the ball on the three-point line was able to drive to the basket with an easy dunk. No one contesting him on that drive. No one going for the foul. No one going for a charge. No one going even in for a reach-in to stop the play, maybe a reset of play. So Jason Tatum gets that easy dunk. And the next play on the 76ers, Tobias Harris able to slip by easily by Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum not even reacting to that, going for the double team on Joel Embiid. And Tobias Harris able to get the layup. And this is Jason Tatum, by the way, who is the front runner for the MVP. 
turns out MVPs don't need to play any defense. And this is a product of having 10 teams in the playoffs. And listen, I this is a belief I have even before we started this podcast. Even before we started our very first podcast back in, so- in sophomore years, so this was... What three <laughs> long, long uh, three four years three, ago? I don't even know yeah. the Instagram handle for that, for that <laughs> but you know, look look there for a train wreck of a podcast. <laughs> That's for sure. If you, if you don't yeah. think this one is is already, <laughs> but it, it it's crazy. Like back then, we're talking about an eighty two game season to have eight teams in the playoffs, right? And when you're at games, you know, say seventy eight to eighty two, no one's really on the edge of the seats to see if the Pelicans or the Timberwolves or say uh I don't know, a team like the Kings can make the playoffs, right? No one's looking for that eight seed to make the playoffs. Suddenly a two, three years later, they add more teams to the playoffs. Now you have 10 teams making a playoffs out of 16 teams in one conference. And we talk about participation trophies happening, you know, at the kids level, how that's ruining uh, kind of men and women's, you know, ability to face adversity. It's happening at all levels. Like a 10 seed, you're not even top 50% in your conference, is able to make the playoffs. And that is atrocious that you're able to be positively rewarded for that. I think this, the, the lack of star players playing in games, I think the lack of effort on defense, I think the lack of trying that a one versus three seed this late into the season is that anticlimactic as it is. It's a product of having too many teams in the playoffs is just a travesty for this league and this sport that is so great to watch. We watch college basketball. We watch high school basketball. It's so great to watch because there are a limited number of games to play. So with less games to play, each game matters more. And then we go to March, for instance, and March is one of the great things to happen in the entire sports calendar is, you know, you could have a team that's hot that suddenly beats a good team. Right. I mean, I, so ultimately, the I, I I agree with you. I mean, with with more than half of the teams in a conference making playoffs, there's no there's no good reason why a team who's upwards of of the five seed should even care in the remaining fifteen twenty games of the season because you can pretty much coast your way to a postseason berth, yeah. right? And and I'd love on this podcast or even in just in conversation in real life to have a fan of the NBA league and just have a conversation with them, right? I, I mean, think we would roast them. We we would absolutely roast them. But I I truly want to hear their side on why they love the league. And I'm not talking about it's uh, a person that is a fan of a team. And obviously, we would love the NBA so much more if the Sonics were back. We'd sure, have, sure. Because we don't have a team. The closest right. thing is the Trailblazers. I like the 76ers, you know. Oh. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I like the 76ers is because in 2K13, I was drafted by the 76ers that same year. <laughs> Joel Embiid was drafted by the 76ers. I loved his interviews, and I was just like, fuck it. Of the course 76ers it was that. are my team, and thankfully they're good right now. But ultimately, it doesn't mean anything. We're looking at Damian Lillard right now. He's has 59 points in, what, six six minutes left in the fourth quarter? Huge game for him. 11, 11 three-pointers, but it yeah. just it, it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Right. Yeah, I know. I Okay, so, so here's the question, right? NBA is going downhill. 
I think just about everyone knows it. Like view, viewership of the NBA is is drastically down over previous years, right? NBA finals don't even closely relate to to a a, a week five Jacksonville Jaguars and Houston Texans matchup, right? Yeah. It's not. It's yeah. not close. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. truly not close. Yeah. yeah, agreed. So so what? In my opinion, what does the NBA need to do? They need to shorten the season. That's the only way that they get all their stars playing, and that's the only way that they can make every game count. At the end I, of the day, you got to make the stakes higher for each individual game. Yes. You see, you, you have some low-income families that are able to scrape maybe one game out of the season to travel to their local city and watch their teams play. And then it, once they go to their local city, they aren't able to see their star players play. And that's a travesty. At the end of the day, you don't need to have an 82. I, I see Commissioner Adam Silver wanting to have more games added to the season. You don't need more games to... Decide which are the eight best teams no. available. No, like like the NFL has a sixteen game season. I think it is fine. Seventeen or seven a seventeen game season. Now I think it's fine to extend expand that playoffs because if you look at a math perspective, you got lower sample size. Right. You don't lower sample size means you don't necessarily know who the best team is. Right. You got an eighty two game season. You don't need. Eight teams in the plot. You already know who the best teams are. Yes. So you got to positively reward the teams that are the best in the regular season. I don't mean go to the soccer model where there's no playoffs at all. But if if you go like sixty two and twenty in the regular season, you got to get positively rewarded for that versus playing like the Pelicans in the first round <laughs> right. and sweeping right. them. And, and at, the, at the end of the day, it, it is a ratings thing. The NBA gets more viewership more money from each game that is played in the playoffs but a sl- a sweep of the 1 versus the 8 seed in the first round no one cares is, no one cares i won't watch the playoffs until the semifinals or the and, com- and, and maybe the even finals yeah. maybe even finals honestly I mean, I mean conference finals in the finals right. i'll watch the right, last right, right, two rounds right. maybe cuz those are truly the top teams that deserve to be there especially in the age of super teams where that disparity is so massive between the best teams and the decent and the good teams. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I just, I just absolutely hate the NBA, uh, as we see Damian Lillard have his career high with 64 points, Is he going to 12, hit 12, 12 threes, and a plus-minus of 19. That's, that's it, it just money. It just sucks because this game, as we're watching it right now, just doesn't have any stakes on it. No, I, you know it, I mean? that's the whole point. It's Even, like you can have these massive numbers, right? Jason Tatum has a career high in a low-scoring All-Star game at 50, what was it, 54, 55 points sure. in the All-Star game. Who cares? Truly, who cares? It, does, it means absolutely nothing when, when, when 25 of those points come on dunks and the rest are on threes. Open, open yep. threes. Yep. Like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a goddamn layup line. Yep. You're not Absolutely. getting any contest. There's no defense. That's the whole. That that's the problem I have. Is not enough people have watched Thirty for Thirty, the Bad Boys of Detroit, right? Yeah. No one knows the old age of defense, and and obviously there's this whole conversation around Jordan and, and LeBron, greatest of all time. I, I'm not talking about that whatsoever. I'm talking about the that's actual, another conversation after after LeBron beat the scoring record. That is a different conversation. Completely for a later, different conversation. For a later the podcast, we will have that. The, the conversation I'm talking about is the actual quality of defense 
and and the aggression that used to be played in the NBA that we're not seeing now. And 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 it's falling away from the NFL, right? With with all the roughing the passer rules and PI and everything. Like at the end of the day, sports are primal. At the end of the day, sports are primal. Great way to say it. Great way to say it. And that's what people are wanting to watch. Because if you look at the actual like the marketing side of athletics is people want to see feats that they cannot accomplish themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You and couldn't have said we, it and, any better. And, and, and quite frankly, we're not seeing that these days. Yeah. We're just not. And, and I think like it's a travesty because I saw that game, Boston versus 76ers. It's it's not it's not about the level of athleticism of these players. It's not a level of strength, it's a level of effort. And when yes. I saw that first second quarter of that game, Genuinely, and I'm not. This is not hyperbole. I saw LA Fitness, 24 hour fitness yes. levels of effort yes. on defense between these two teams. And honestly, when you watch these games, when once you see the ball go to one side of the floor, you can tune out the other half of the floor of the floor because it's going to. I guarantee you, it's going to be a pick and roll. And if you, if the player doesn't get a pick and roll or, or doesn't get the roll on a layup. On that mismatch on the big, it's going. They're either going to switch. They're going to get the mismatch, and it's either going to be that guard pulling up for an open three against a mismatch, or it's going to be the guard throwing it into the post onto a mismatch as well. And these players are so good at making shots that they're probably going to make it on a mismatch. And it's just the game is so simplified, and these players are so good, and the, the rules are so adjusted to the offense that on any given possession. You would bet the house that the offense would score. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, while while we're on the topic of of rule changes and 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 everything that that goes with it, I want I want to briefly touch on the MLB rule change with the pitch clock and the batter clock and and being in the box with with eight seconds left on the pitch clock and pitchers being ready to go. But <laughs> with with that right. A batter has to be in the box with eight seconds to go on the pitch clock. The pitcher does not even have to be ready, and a strike can still be called on the batter. That's a that's a terrible change. Yeah, I, I have very strong thoughts about this, but I'm going to hand it off to you. What you know, go off, tell you. Right. What okay. Your so the this? average game, the average game before this started, and I know we have a drastically small sample size towards the beginning of spring training, right? The average time of a baseball game, Major League Baseball game, was just over three hours, right right around three hours and 15 minutes. I see absolutely nothing wrong with that. Obviously, we're both baseball guys, so we, we, we love just watching baseball in its purest form. But you're shaving an hour, an entire hour off of these games. The first two baseball games that were played in spring training this year, two hours and 15 minutes. That's not baseball. It's just not baseball. And you have to appreciate it in its purest form. And I just don't think the changes are... Sure, the the changes for viewing purposes might be better for a broader audience because, oh, I only have to tune in for, for a maximum of two and a half hours, right? But that is not baseball. That's not how it's played. Baseball yeah. is a back and forth. It's a chess match. 
And, yeah. and a pitcher and a batter have to be able to go back and forth, call time, play their own game. That's just how it's played. Yeah. So I think the answer to the pitch clock is eliminating it after the seventh inning. Yeah, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second real quickly. So when I was touring colleges back in the day in high school, I went to a New York Yankees versus Boston Red Sox game in Yankee Stadium. And that was in, I believe, it was an 18-19 inning game between those two teams. It was the longest game between those two franchises in history. And just about at the 14th, 15th inning, there was a pitcher on the Yankees that took about a minute between pitches. And he was taking sorry-ass time at about midnight East Coast time in between pitches. And it was – that was about the time I left that game just to take the last subway back to my hotel. Right, right. right. So I will preface this by saying that there are some pitchers that take – Far too much time in between pitches to compose themselves, to get themselves in the right mindset in order to make that pitch. At the end of the day, you don't need a minute, 90 seconds in order to make a pitch with nobody on, nobody out against a batter. But at the end of the day, what makes baseball special, the most exciting moments of a game are when you're in the eighth, ninth inning. You got runners on, you're in a close game, and you're honestly, it's not even the pitch. It's waiting in between pitches yes. and waiting for that suspense to build. And at the end That's of, the word. And at the end of the day, if you're waiting, if you have twenty seconds in between pitches, let's say yeah, bottom of the ninth, down one, runner on first base. You're looking for a home run from a guy like Aaron Judge, you know, let's say Barry Bonds. A guy like that, Shohei Otani. You don't have time to build that suspense between pitches where the pitcher absolutely has his chest match one on one with the catcher facilitating that in that at bat. Instead, you got a 20 second timer to where you have to throw that pitch and the fans are just looking at that moment like pass away. And I think you're looking at the first six innings. You see, maybe the the game goes by quicker. Then I don't even think that's a good thing. I think if a pitcher's dealing, it doesn't. It's a non-factor because mm-hmm. if a pitcher's dealing, they're going to be in a rhythm. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to be within that 15 second time period anyway. We right. caught Ryan Long, <laughs> yeah. a minor league pitcher. Yeah. He was yeah. so quick yeah. at getting that pitch off, and we'd love to have him on the broadcast eventually. But it's I will miss more than anything that suspense in those late innings in tight games, and games that matter, in the playoffs. Those minutes where the catcher goes out to call time and talk to his pitcher for one pitch that could decide an entire season. For a pitch that could be the difference between a home run, a grounder, even a foul ball could be the absolute difference maker in a season. And I think with the pitch clock, you've absolutely eliminated that. And... People argue that baseball is about waiting. I wouldn't necessarily use those words that it is waiting. But I think in those late moment scenarios, that waiting in between pitches in those tight moments are absolutely what makes the playoffs special, what makes baseball special. As Damian Lillard now (laughs) hits 71 points, which is absolutely phenomenal. Also, no one cares. (laughs) No one cares. This is no one cares. This is against the Rockets. (laughs) I, I, I do I do want to continue on this conversation because I, I find it very important. But the, the word you said a few times is suspense, right? Suspense is built 
through patience and time. In every other sport that is prominent in America and, and, and across the world, a timeout is available. You do not have that in baseball. So why are you eliminating that opportunity for the fans' sake to get more invested into a game at the baseball level, at the Major League Baseball level? Damian Lillard just hit another three. Oh, that wasn't Damian Lillard. That, that was, was some, Cam Reddish. Okay. That was some guy. To my point, though, why are you eliminating that for the fans' sake? At the end of the day, everything is for the fans, right? We want to we want to increase viewership. We want to grow the game. This is not growing the game. Grow the game in the first seven innings. If you if you have that pitch clock in the first seven innings, you get through those seven in an hour and forty five minutes. But this is what I will say as a starter: if you're st- if you're a stud starter, if you're true number one, you're going six seven innings anyway. You're in a good rhythm. You don't need that pitch clock anyway, so it's irrelevant, right? Yeah, I, I mean, sure. Sometimes, sometimes. If you're a Max Scherzer, you're and you're in a rhythm. You're throwing pitches 15, 20 seconds. Yeah, I, intervals I, anyway. Yeah, I mean, you could utilize that pitch clock to your advantage. You know, you can speed the batter up, and you can get them out of their rhythm. You can utilize that to your advantage. But he, he, here's my whole like math side of my brain working, which is not very large. But if 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 I get that working right, seven innings, hour and forty five minutes. Even if the last Two innings, eight, nine, when you eliminate that pitch clock, even if that those last two innings go one hour, you're inside of a three hour game. Every that, every that, that's what it matters most at first. Every single most, right? football game, every single football game is right at the three hour mark. Every single one. So who's not gonna watch an MLB baseball game that's three hours long? This is the question that I'll, I will ask you, Tellier, is can you play devil's advocate after seeing a few games of this at the college level, at spring training? Can you find can. a devil's advocate with this rule? I can. My my one devil's advocate is if a batter's not in the batter's box with eight seconds to go on the pitch clock, why is he? Why why does he have to start his at-bat 0-1? Why does he have to start with a, with a strike on him if he's a half second late to put a foot in the batter's box? Why, why, if the pitcher... Do you understand devil's advocate? I do understand. Okay. That's what I'm trying to play, am I not? Okay, no, no, go for it. No, no, no. My my biggest thing is, the pitcher's not ready. Why? My biggest problem is if the pitcher is not ready with eight seconds to go, why is the batter... Why does the batter have to have... Why why does the batter have to be ready at that point? Yeah. It's ludicrous. I think like we've closed this conversation, you know, off nicely. I see no merit in this rule. I sincerely hope to God that they will, you know, repeal this rule at the next season. Maybe even during this season when they realize how truly awful it is. Maybe as long or in addition to the shift as well. That's another yeah, conversation as well. That has been less of a, you know, a media point thus far. Um, but I think baseball is going backwards with it, trying to see, I guess, faster games. I don't think faster games is the issue. I yep. think it is the prominence of faster pitches, which is not necessarily their fault. The emphasis on the three true outcomes, home run, strikeout, walk, 
the lack of balls in play. And I don't know how you change that because that's a purely analytics thing. But I think you, you just need more balls in play. For, yeah. Because yeah, when, when you go to a game, it, it, it sucks to when you just hear the crack of a bat and you know it's going to be a home run. Otherwise, it's going to be a walker strikeout. And right. maybe it's a two-run home run. Maybe it's a three-run home run. But you can just talk to your fellows for two hours of the game and wait for the crack of a bat. Right. And maybe it's a long flyout. Maybe it's a home run. But uh, that's what the analytics say. But I, you know... Maybe this is me showing a little bit of my age, but a little bit of going back to that small ball era where strategy was a part of it versus the analytics. Yeah. I think we've kind of nodded this up nicely. Clearly, we don't like the pitch clock rule. I don't think anyone really does outside of the commissioners and that MLB people that are a part of the MLB, which clearly do not like baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're seeing, you know, the pitch clock in specific just fail at all levels. So I don't know what else to say on the topic. Hey, that's a great way to wrap it up. Yep. That's Ryan Eldridge. I'm Talia Lundquist. We hope you agree. Happy and birthday, we- <laughs> Talia. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. This has been Misinterpreted Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Oh, we'll see you next time. Oh, really? That's how you feel. And the guys are like, Asking all them questions, why you asking all them questions, making statements.